So, what we're going to do is uh, read our Luke 24. Why don't we stand? We're going to do 12 verses here. And make believe it's our resurrection day, which it is. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them, in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the tomb, reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Father, we pray that as we look at this today, that we're so familiar with it, that we would glean the precious truths that are there throughout the Gospels on this most historical, amazing event ever that happened. The resurrection of Christ. May we not ever take it for granted because it is the very foundation of our faith. Give us wisdom and insight. In Jesus' name, Amen. On the first day of the week, here we are. Now, if the Bible is true, then what about all the people who have never heard about Jesus? How can God condemn them to hell when they've never had a chance to believe? Or, how can a good and loving God allow suffering and evil to happen in this world? There are many similar, I think, questions can plague people with doubt. I can't answer all those questions this morning because we have a text to go to. But our text provides necessary foundation here, foundation work for us that will take away any doubts. Stand firm in your faith. Look at the cross, look at the burial, look at the resurrection, and we have evidence for every one of those. We've seen those as we've looked at Scripture. And that's what you're putting your faith in, all of these things, and that this story is absolutely true. There is nothing to be doubting about. Christian faith, it's unique to all other religions. There is no other religion like it we have a, a living person of Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and rose again. Christianity is not, I guess you could say, primarily a system of moral and doctrinal truths and beliefs, even though those are very, very important. have to have those. We know that. Uh, so, 
it's it's definite. You know, you have doctrinal truths, but Christianity is found on the living person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is what our foundation is. So if Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, then He Himself is a liar. We are people to be most pitied and should be made fun of because it is not true if He lied. Right? And we know that it secured the forgiveness of our sins. But not just forgiveness of sins, but eternal life to be able to live with Him in a glorified body for eternity. And the resurrection was God's seal on this sacrifice. It's showing that He approved of what Jesus did. It's paid for. And we know that the resurrection declared Jesus to be the Son of God with power in Romans 1.4. Uh, Jesus is the son of David, as David substantiated that in his preaching in Acts 2, where he said, You will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your holy ones to undergo decay. Now, David said that in the Psalms. The preacher, which was Peter at that time, quoted that, and it was about not abandoning his soul into Hades. Not even David's, and it's proven because of the resurrection of Christ that he would not undergo decay, he would have a glorified body. And that guarantees us that Jesus conquered sin and death and hell. That we have for sure. We know that. Everything in Christianity rests upon this historical fact that Christ was risen from the dead. We know that. We've heard it many times. But it's good to have that anchor because everything is attacking it. Has been doing it for 2,000 years and even before that and now is attacking it. It seems like the most ever in my lifetime from all angles. So, what we need to always be reminded is that we're not anchored by our thoughts just our thoughts alone or our feelings, our emotions. But what it is, is evidence. Rock solid evidence. The evidence has been proven, as I said earlier, in his... uh, Actually, go back to the arrest. And then the mockings and the beatings and scourgings. And then his crucifixion. So there's his death. He had witnesses dealing with his burial to show that he was buried, not just thrown on a heap. Because otherwise, if you don't have the burial, then we cannot believe the resurrection. Because he has to be buried. He could have been thrown on the heap or somewhere else. But there were two men responsible for taking him to a grave that was very respectable. And also the women were showed that this was true evidence. They are witnesses of what happened. As they saw him die, he really died, they saw him being buried, and they were witnesses that the tomb was empty, that there was a resurrection. So if you have witnesses and multiple witnesses 
That's a good place to start in your faith, isn't it? You can be assured. And so in our text today, that's what we have here of now His resurrection. What evidence is there? First day of the week, it's the day of the resurrection. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they show that this is the first day of the week. And the fact that the early church changed the day of worship from the Sabbath to the first day of the week is explained by the fact that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday or the first day of the week. Why would they change that sacred day that has been like the most treasured of the Jews, the Sabbath day? Why would they do that? Well, they did it to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The Lord's Day, Revelation 1.10. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The early church had already established the Lord's Day, first day of the week. As we turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 7, you can say, why do we have to worship on Sunday? We could worship any day. Well, that's true. We can and we should. But the body of Christ comes together, unless it cannot do it on that day, comes together on Sunday the first day of the week, to celebrate what? The resurrection. Pretty simple, but um, yet it is very important to us. On the verse 7, Acts 20 verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them and he went on, went on and on and on and on up until the uh, midnight hours, right? Of course, you have the uh, individual falling out of the window there and, and he's resurrected back to life. But anyway, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We, we did the we did the Acts twenty verse seven right. First Corinthians sixteen two is what that is. I'm sorry about that. First uh, one says now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia so do you also. On the first day of every week each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come, that they already be ready, that I pick it up. When you come together on the first day of the week, as you at church, you take an offering. Okay? And whenever I come, then that will be there. There won't be any last minute scurrying. He says, you know, keep saving it up. You know, keep bringing it and then having it, having it ready. So that's what the church did. They brought offerings. It's the first day of the week. So those are some examples of showing that, yes, historically this happened. Later on you see it in the church and church history that they've been meeting on Sundays. So it's historically accurate to meet on that day. It's permissible to meet any other day, but this is really the day, and and also every Sunday really ought to be that, isn't it? Not just our Resurrection Day. And we're proclaiming right now, right now, we're proclaiming one of the most important facts of what we believe. The Resurrection. We all believe in that. We don't have any differences on that whatsoever, do we? Number two, as we go back to our Luke passage, 
first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, this is the women, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So our second one is the moved stone. Stone is moved. First one, Sunday. First day of the week. Stone. Mark 16.3 says the women were discussing on the way to the tomb. Basically, that's what it was. And then they got there. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? There they are. They got together. And they said, we've got to... You know, they had already uh, prepared the spices. And then they couldn't do it on the Sabbath. But on Sunday, which is the third day, there they are now bringing the spices for the body of Jesus. So, do they believe in the resurrection yet? No. Uh, Otherwise, they would have said, there's no use to go there. He's out of there. But, they don't want to be uh, outdone by the two men who were disciples that nobody even knew they were until that time. Um, And Joseph of Arimathea, right? We talked about that last week. And also Nicodemus. Those guys... Uh, had uh, Nicodemus had brought 100 pounds of spices. That's a lot. Paid quite a cost for that. Well, you see, they just it, they knew that he was buried there, and now it's saying who's going to roll away that stone? They don't know about the guards that were supposed to have been there. They don't know about that. That came just a little bit later. They had all left and got ready for the Sabbath. So here it is, Sunday morning, just before the sun comes up, and you have uh, women going there. And Luke just merely records the fact that when they arrived, they found the stone rolled away. But they've talked about it. We go, what, how's this going to happen? They, you know, Maybe some men will be around there, hopefully. <laughs> Probably not at that hour. You wouldn't think that would happen, right? Uh, this would have been a large, humongous stone, maybe a ton, that's rolled in a groove all the way down to the very front entrance of that cave, that hole that had been born in there, and so therefore, how are they going to get that thing up there? Uh, the Roman soldiers guarding the tomb would have not have moved that stone. What motive would there have been for that? Uh, Matthew 28.2 states that the angel of the Lord moved the stone and not for the uh, body of Jesus to come out of there, but for that people would be able to walk in and see what? He's not there. (laughs) So, um, there are witnesses of the resurrection here because they see that the tomb is empty. And later, Peter and John will also see that. Um, I've also said many times that uh, there's a man by the name of Frank Morrison who wrote a book called um, Who Rolled the Stone Away? And what, what it was is that he was a lawyer, an attorney, that refuted the evidence for the resurrection. He didn't believe that that really could happen. And he thought it was a myth, really, and that's the way that he approached it. But he examined the facts. 
as one ought to do, especially a lawyer, right? That's his business. Examines the facts with his legal background, goes to every little stone and overturns them, tries to see everything that he can with that training that he had. And he came to the conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead. Too much evidence here. Who moved the stone is what his book was called. Well, the next one is, of course, The Empty Tomb. Now, critics have definitely come up with a number of problems saying that the harmony of the Gospels, harmony is saying they've got harmony problems. They're not all saying the exact same thing here. They're not a group of people that got together uh, in a boardroom and said, okay, we've got to make sure that everything is right. You know, we cross our T's and dot the I's and we say the exact same thing, right? No, God takes their personality. And what stuck out from one gospel writer also, you have another gospel writer that saw it in another way that would not dispute the other writers but would say, here's the way that I saw it from my view. And God, with His Holy Spirit, put that down in the way that it was to be done. So God used that. At the same time, man writes God's Scripture with inspiration. So, um, the tomb was empty, and there's nobody that denies that, though. Nobody denies the fact that the tomb is empty. Different people come up with different stories, but at least we can all say it's empty. Alright, well, if it had not been empty and he was really in there, none of this should even be happening. Because the Jews would be, you know, taking that body out of the tomb, and if you have the disciples out there preaching resurrection, all they have to do is march it down Main Street in Jerusalem and say, here he is, this is Jesus, this is his dead body. You know, but there was no body there for them to do that. It is empty. So nobody denies that. Jesus' enemies could have stolen the body, some people say. But what motive would they have had for that? And then hiding it away, you know, they would have had to produce it if the disciples preach resurrection. And isn't that the heart of the gospel? The death, burial, resurrection. So if they're saying resurrection, so all they do is, again, they bring it out there and say, uh-uh, look, folks. Yeah, the Roman guards, did they steal the body? Some people say that. But what motive would they have to steal the body? And they have put a Roman seal on that, coming from the governor. That that's what to be done. Nobody can do that. A Roman guard is not to even do that. Um, they could have sold it to the Jewish leaders then. And then they could have done something with it to show everybody that he's there, right? But that didn't happen either. The disciples stole the body. How many people have said that? Well, the Jews are the very first ones who said it. And uh, that's quite the theory. They tried to promote this theory. If you go back to Matthew 27, verse 63... Sir, 
that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go make it secure as you know how. They went made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. That's the Roman seal. You have Roman guards there. And they're making sure that it's secure, it's guarded, it's protected. Uh, we go on in that same chapter, uh, or actually 28, I'm sorry, verse 11. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened at the tomb. And when they had assembled with elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to his soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, did as they had been instructed, and this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. So what did they say? They came up there. The guards said there was an earthquake. The tomb was empty. The the stone was rolled away. What are we going to do? And what do the Jews say? Say that his body was stolen by the disciples. Do you think that they started asking questions? Oh, you got to be kidding me. No, you've got to be mistaken. There's no way that could happen. The the stone is there. You guys were there. You didn't go to sleep, did you? you? know, Or something like that. Uh, although that's kind of what the idea is here. While we were asleep, uh, they don't go to sleep. Guards, it. what? Why did they come up with that answer so quick? Because I believe they believe that he could resurrect. That's why. Because he's already said this before. They are saying, "Yeah, go tell him this. He got stolen." They're saying. Yeah, he did it. He did it. Tell a lie. So, that's all part of the uh, empty tomb. Uh, about the disciples there stealing that body, uh, guards would have prevented that. Uh, they, you know, the disciples, can you imagine them moving that heavy stone while the guards are there without the guards' knowledge or permission? It's inconceivable that they would have boldly preached the resurrection knowing that there would be absolute persecution to them. They've been hiding out. They're scared. They haven't been at the crucifixion. They weren't really at the trials, the crucifixion, uh, His death. And they're certainly not hanging around the tomb. And they're not going to the tomb because they don't want to be seen. Doesn't that make sense? Because if they did say, oh, He did resurrect, but at the same time they say, yeah, He resurrected, but He really didn't because He really we stole His body, but we're going to preach resurrection. They're going to give up their lives for a lie. They don't do that. No. Number four is the angelic witness that we have in Luke 24. 4. While 
They were perplexed about this. Behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. I mean, we're talking about bright, gleaming, as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. This is a testimony. This is proof. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. Get that in a moment. The angelic witness. Luke records that the women encountered two men in dazzling apparel. He is not here, but He is risen. And went on to remind them of Jesus' prediction. Of course, well, Matthew and Mark only mention one angel. In Luke and John, you get two angels. You have one angel that's speaking to the women. Critics doubt the existence of angels because they don't believe in supernatural things like that to happen. But that's a great witness that we have in this written by a very, uh, I think you could say, qualified people who saw this and wrote it down. Something to believe. Number five, the predictions by Jesus. On several occasions, Jesus has predicted that He would be crucified, rise from the dead, right? And if you were to go back to Luke 9.22, 9.43, through 18.31-33, 22-22, you go on and on and you get Jesus saying that they're going to deliver Me up to the rulers and authorities. I'll be, you know, it was like he was going to suffer, die, and then raise again. He told them that. They just didn't get it. They're really blinded by it all. If it didn't happen, he's a liar. Because he said all this. He said that it would happen. It does happen. Proof, isn't it? The sixth witness, we got eight all together. Sixth is the witness of the women. And unlike Jewish law, women were not considered to be qualified as witnesses. But here in this account, it shows that they legitimately were the first witnesses. They were the witnesses at the death. They were witnesses at the burial. They were witnesses at the resurrection. You have not only one person telling this, or two, but you have several people witnessing all of this. They were first to see the risen Savior. They were not expecting an empty tomb. It's not that they made this up. They were expecting to do what? To put the spices on him. So, you know, and then they go tell the apostles, and that's our next one the doubting of the apostles. It's a powerful evidence. The fact that the men who should have believed were at first skeptics of these women who testified of Jesus' resurrection, and they're skeptical. Matter of fact, they make fun of the women. This doesn't sound familiar, does it? Uh, the the apostles are unbelieving. You know, they, they would be hoping for a resurrection, but you know what? They would be accused of being gullible and ready to believe anything because of Jesus. No, they, there's no way. You know, he's dead. He's buried. So they ridicule the women. Peter and John go to check on this story. At this time, Mary Magdalene tells them this. This It's the first time that she goes to the disciples. It was real dark. She goes and tells them. But she hasn't seen anything yet other than the fact that 
the stone had been rolled away and what did she come to the conclusion of? Jesus rose from the dead, right? No. What was it? Somebody stole His body. So it's not really good facts that she has. She goes and tells the disciples, somebody stole the body. He's not there. So Peter and John get up and they run. John is much quicker and faster than Peter and he beats Peter there. Peter comes up behind him a little bit. He just blows by John. Goes right on into the place. Sees the linen wrappings, which is our eighth one. Peter and John saw the linen wrappings. John went in then after Peter did, of course. That's the way it always is. Jesus' body was not inside the tomb. If someone had stolen the body, they would not have wanted to unwrap the linen and leave it there. They saw that. Jesus' body just passed right out of it. Like that. He didn't go... Oh, now I've got to raise from the dead. I mean, he's out of there within a split second. He's out of the tomb in a, you know, I mean, quicker than a, a split second. You know, and of course we know that that kind of body uh, is is amazing. It just the body would appear at, or vanish at any time. Go through closed doors. Go through walls. That's kind of a, a kind of a prefix, I guess, in a way for us. So we too will be able to have that kind of a body. But he also had a body to eat, to drink, and could even be touched by Thomas. It was a real body, not a spiritual body that was some kind of a ghost, but a real body. But resurrected, glorified, <laughs> this means a lot to us because it promises to us we will get a glorified body just like Jesus had. And we'll see Him as He is in all His glory. There's no way to explain how they were transformed from fearful, depressed, confused men into bold witnesses. You know what? No other way to explain it. They were ready to die for Him while they had been hiding out all that time. There it is. Based on what? Experience? Feelings? No, it was based on fact. Rooted in the objective truth. It's historical. It's verifiable. We have written records that are accurate that do not dispute each other in any way. That's all we got to go to believe on anything in history is written records. These are verifiable. It's true. Whether people believe it or don't believe it. Why is it that most people in this world do not believe this? This history. It's been verified by numerous lines of solid evidence. Don't more people believe it? Why not? You guys have a good baptism. (laughs) We hope the feet are good for Zach and his mom. See you later. Why don't more people believe this? The evidence is here. Well, I can tell you why. Because it makes Him Lord. If He said He was going to die, be buried, resurrect, and He does it, then He commands our servantship. He commands us to be slaves of Him being the King of kings, the Lord of lords. By the way, it's not a bad deal being a slave of Christ, is it? I boldly say I am proud to be in Christ as a slave. 
He's the coming judge of all the earth. He demands their life, their soul, their all. We sang that song this morning, didn't we? You see, people don't want to turn from their sin because it seems to be better than what Christ offers. Although they never say that. I want Christ and I still want to do what I want to do here. But I'm not going to call it sin because actually it's okay. I have put it in my own mind that this is a good thing to do and it's okay. Okay, what does Scripture say? Well, that was for that time. And I think you're probably reading it wrong anyway. That's the way that mankind will always do. And they don't want Jesus because He demands their life, their all. I can't do that. I still want to hold on to Jesus, but I can't do this. But I'm going to do this. It's a high price to pay to follow Christ. It has moral implications. And people would rather just dish Christ away and say He doesn't exist. That resurrection is all a hoax because I like what I do. It's just like somebody offering you a rusty glass of water with dirt and mud in it and you say, and you're really, really thirsty and say, I'll take this. This looks good. And you drink that and somebody says, here is pure, clean water. But you have to go over there to the well and kind of draw it up to get it. But it's there. It's clean. It's pure. Which would you take? It's going to be a cost because you're going to have to work a little bit to get that. Well, we don't work to get Christ, but my thought is here is that there is a cost to following Christ. People don't want to turn from their sin. They refuse to believe in Jesus in spite of the evidence. So they take something much less than Christ. It's cheap. It's Christ. Christ alone. We can't have Christ plus something else, can we? So, do we see evidence there? Did we see those eight pieces of evidence as we read through there? Peter saw the linen wrappings. He was marveling. I think he's starting to think now it's possible there was a resurrection. I've seen that linen wrappings. Mary Magdalene saw the risen Lord because as she came back to the tomb later, probably after Peter and John had been there, and even the women had been there, she knows the tomb is empty. She's already known that. The rock has rolled away. She knows that. She's crying. She's weeping. She still thinks what? The body has been stolen. And she even tells the, um, the gardener there, you know, please, if you know where that body's at, if you took it or something, could you? I'll take care of that body. And then she sees Jesus, doesn't she? She recognizes who Jesus is finally whenever He lets her see for who He really is. Rabboni, teacher, she says, she recognizes. And now she knows that the resurrection has happened. 
First time she went back there and told the disciples, back probably in Bethany, a couple of miles, a start. Her and the other women go back again and tell the disciples that he is not there. He is risen as the angel had told them. He put all that story together and all the bits and pieces from each of the Gospels and you get absolute truth that does not doubt itself any way. It's all coming together. So there is evidence. What do we do with evidence that is put forth? We put our trust in it. That the Lord is risen. After the miracle writings that have been done and of course the gospel that was preached by Jesus, the truth, the events of the resurrection, John, who wrote the book of John, said many other signs therefore Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that believing you may have life in His name. John 20, 30 and 31. It's through faith that our sins are forgiven. Through faith. Believing. Trusting in Him. To have that relationship with Christ. So, we must put our trust in the risen Lord. Number one, faith is based on the historical fact. We gave the evidence, right? It's all based on that. But it is strictly not intellectual. It's not just saying, I acknowledge that He rose from the dead. Are you saved by that? No, you're saved by faith through grace. By grace through faith, I mean. Christianity is moral. It's always moral. We've all sinned against the Holy God, right? Our sins put Christ on the cross. That faith in Christ is not just a matter of weighing the evidence and having intellectual knowledge. A lot of people will believe even the evidence that we gave. But they're not Christians. They can believe and they can come on Easter and believe that He rose from the dead and even say that. Romans 10 says you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he's that God raised him from the dead. We can we can say those things. But it's a conviction of our sin when we see what and why he died for and see our need for a savior. That is where that's at. The This was God's sovereign purpose done by men, sinful men, who were held responsible for what they did. But our faith rests on the fact of history, yet it also includes repentance for our sins and believing in the sense of trusting Him. 
It's the idea of belief. So that was one thing. We put our trust in Christ. Secondly, under our point two, is since you never completely resolve questions that you have, there are things that are in Scripture that raise questions. That can even, you could say, I don't know about that. I, I believe it, but how does that happen? We've all been there. We all, matter of fact, every time you read Scripture, you say, what does that mean? It's not that you're being a doubter, but you're saying, how does that happen? How does that work? You delve further into it. Well, it takes a step of faith. Just a step. You notice I didn't say a steps of faith or, or take a leap of faith. It's not a leap of faith or a blind faith, is it? It's a faith rested upon evidence, sufficient evidence to put our weight upon Him and everything. Audrey, I can imagine being a lawyer. You appreciate all the evidence that you have, like everybody here. But you you had to examine it as time went on. But you took that first little step of faith when you distrusted in Christ. You believed it. It was a step of faith. It wasn't a giant leap, but it was a step. I believe Him. I believe what He did. And so you, you believe Him knowing it's not a lie. You believe you have eternal life. And you believe John 3.16, John 3.36, that you'll have eternal life if you believe in Him. But if you, you do not, you will perish. John 3.36 says. If you believe in Him, you have eternal life. you don't believe in Him and take Him in, then you have perished into an eternal death. So under number two, the very last one we're doing, of, and this is number three of number two, okay? Or ABC. Our faith grows through various stages. We take that one step. The next one is various stages. The women and the disciples, they all believed in Jesus. But they did it at various stages. They believe in Him of what, they, what He's been saying. Do you think the women really love Jesus? Yes, they do. Are they believers of Him? Yes, they do. At this time, they still don't believe in the resurrection. Somebody stole His body until it's finally revealed to them supernaturally. You have the angels. That's supernatural. You have that, uh, that stone that was rolled away that the angel did. They finally see the the um, linen wrappings in there. The angel reminded them of Jesus' prediction, his prophecy. In Luke twenty-four, it says, uh, verse seven it says, "The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again." That's what the angel said. Did Jesus say that before? Are they saying anything different than Jesus has said? Exactly what He said. And look at this. And they remembered His words. I think because of all the evidence and everything that's going on here, I think that God kept them and everybody else from really understanding this resurrection. 
Do they believe in a resurrection? One of these days they'll rise? Well, sure. Otherwise, this is all in vain, you know, the kingdom and everything. But even the women, as faithful as they were all the way through this, still brought their spices one step at a time. You know what you see here? The grace of God. The mercy of God. The love of God in all of this. He's really patient with us. He is so gentle with us. Sometimes we feel like we even take steps backwards, don't we? And you know Christians do that. And my heart is for them to get back on their feet and take their steps forward. Here, can you take my hand? Can you walk with me? Please, I want to see you get past that. Did you guys want to see that from people who take steps back? It's easy to do that if we're not really looking at the cross, the burial, the resurrection. The women loved Jesus, didn't exactly believe His word that He said. Really, the angel then says, don't you remember? He said this. And they go. And it was like the blinders fell off. All of a sudden, the light came on and it says they remembered His words. And what do people do when they hear the Word of God? They respond to it. They just don't do intellectually say, yeah, that's really cool, and then go on and do what they do. No, it says they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. You see, Mary Magdalene had already gone there. She goes back a second time along with the other women and He's risen. The first time, what did, and she said, somebody stole Him. This time He's... Really, He's risen. Well, you know what? Jesus prophesied that. The, how about the apostles? The apostles for these three years had given up everything to Jesus, for Jesus. They followed Him, didn't they? They took great steps. Took steps backwards too. <laughs> Peter, rest of the disciples, right? Peter and John were willing to check it out for themselves. They did. How about the Emmaus disciples? Oh, I love that story on the Emmaus Road. We've got that one coming up next time. But it says, they believed yet were slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Luke 24-25. Just ahead of us here. They believed... but they were slow of heart. Aren't we tired of being slow of heart? (laughs) Such a time as this, folks. Such a time. It weighs heavily on me. It weighs heavily on you. And you know what I'm speaking about. All the things that are going on and what you hear. We don't even see half. We don't even know even... 10% of what's going on. This is a spiritual warfare that's going on. I'm glad I'm not seeing all of it. I sure hear a lot of things. And yeah, I warn people too. I think it's good to warn each other. But don't be fearful. Saying, you know what? If this is getting near those last days, Jesus did warn us of this. In the last days, times will wax worse. 
It can get worse. Oh, yes. But look at our evidence and who we are in the risen Lord. We can look. We have much more evidence in the sense it's been written and we can study it. The disciples, oh, this happened within, within a weekend. It's, it's in a blur. And this is their favorite person ever, you know, and various stages in that faith, in our walk of faith. The Lord is merciful. He's gracious. And He saves those with just the least little amount of a mustard seed faith. You ever say, well, I don't know a whole lot. Keep reading. Keep studying. You'll know a lot more. Know Him. Pursue Him. Not intellectualism, but the person of Christ. You'll know more. That mustard seed does grow. The kingdom of God grows. He's patient and He will not cast off those who have faith in Him. Even if our faith wavers, be strong. Know you're secure in Christ. I think we've got a ways to go. I think it's exciting. Because you've got the best news that anybody has ever had in the history of mankind. It's all right here. We have been at the heart. Don't let this be something just... I've heard this before. Man, this is amazing. I learned a little bit more about this resurrection. How the evidence just keeps lining up. And why God didn't reveal the whole resurrection to them before it happened, even though He said it. Because it just mounts up even more. They're not just people that were just, you know, looking for it, you know, already saying, hey, He's going to resurrect. I know about it. And they're going to say, well, yeah, they did something about it before it happened. On the way to the tomb or something. They did something, right? They didn't know. We are all responsible to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we have all that the Scripture here affirms. It's truth. The Bible affirms what we have just seen. We have been looking at the most exciting event in the history of mankind. That's what we just did. Amazing, isn't it? Jesus, our Lord and Savior, thank You for Your death on the cross. The blood that was shed so that we too would be forgiven and given eternal life to spend eternity with You. Ever learning more and more the magnificence and glory it will take an eternity to know all the glory it is that You have to show us and we be a part of. Lord, thank You. Father, as You look at us, You see us in the person of Christ. Sins washed away. Holy, made pure and clean. And we desire to walk that way to show that we know Christ in front of a hostile world. There are some 
that have been chosen to be your people. Let us take that news to them as they come into the kingdom. Lord, bless us as we try to stay true to the word. Help us bring people into this body that we be encouraged so that we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.